0: Well, good morning. If you're in Kidmo, you can head out. I think there's like two. Well, we are a sparse group today, which is fine, but I'm halfway tempted to round you all up and go outside and do the rest of this service outside. It is amazing out there, is it not? Um, no, cause it's got we've got it'll, there's too many logistical issues to do that, but I'm just telling you. There's a part of me that wants to do it. Um, Apparently, this is the weekend to go out of town. Um, I wish I had gone out of town, but I'm glad I didn't go to Florida. So uh, uh, we do need to be praying for those um, that have been affected by the hurricane. And we're starting a new series today on resilience. And I'm, I'm feeling a little hypocritical today because I'm not sure how resilient I feel. And I know that others in the room may share that feeling. Um, just lots of things going on in life, lots of heavy things, and many in our church have been affected um, just in the last few weeks with really heavy stuff. Uh, we, you know, a child who has attended here before um, drowned in a creek near their house just uh, about three weeks ago. Um, We've had, you know, some family members that have been struggling for several in our church. Um, and I've just heard some more stories this morning about other tragic deaths that have happened just in the last week. And uh, when we talk about resilience, like this is the kind of thing you want to come have a big pep, pep rally for, right? And we want to talk about how we're good and life is good and we're full of joy. So, I, But there is a part of what I want to share with you through these next four weeks Um, that is four times that are hard. And the reality is, many of us would love for life to always be good. And sometimes life's not good. Um, By the end of this, uh, these next four weeks that we have together, I do not expect for you to walk out of fear, and no matter what happens, it just doesn't phase you. Uh, Because things phase us. Bad things happen in the world. Um, And we have to respond to that. And it's a reminder also that Jesus, our example for resilience, for hope, for joy, for love, for peace, uh, our example, the scriptures tell us, was was a man um, very acquainted with sorrow and grief. So um, I want to walk, how's that for an intro, by the way? Aren't you excited you're here? Uh, I say that to say the life of following Jesus is not meant to be one that's, tiptoeing through the garden, immune to the hardness of life. But instead, the life of a follower of Jesus is meant to be able to walk through the hard things of life with Christ and be able to do that with joy. And I do believe that by the end of our time together, if you're not into that place, you can be. Um, So I've got some activities we're going to do today. We're also going to be taking communion together. Um, I have some things I want to share with you, but I also want to just name some things that might be. Um, that we might be struggling with today. But let's just begin, if we can, with a word of prayer um, for these things that I've mentioned. I'm sure there are other things that I'm not aware of, but let me, let's just begin with prayer. Father, uh, I just thank you that you are a good God uh, and that you remind us of that in so many different ways. Even this morning as we worship you, you are a good God who welcomes us, who loves us, who hears our praise. And, Father, I thank you just for your goodness. Um, But, Lord, we just lift up to you the hard things in life. Those in this room who are going through those hard things, those who are watching online going through hard things, uh, those who feel that life is just hard and there are very few joyful moments for them, I know that is not your intent for us. And yet I pray that you would give us a heart of resilience, that you would speak to our souls in these next few minutes, and that we would begin to experience, if we haven't already, we begin to experience uh, just the joy of walking through life, even when at times it's walking through the valley of the shadow of death. Father, we lift up all those who've been affected by the hurricane, those who have lost loved ones, or uh, maybe haven't lost a loved one, but they've lost everything they own. Uh, Father, we lift up those who have lost their businesses and those who are not sure how they're going to make ends meet. Um, Father, we just pray that not only would you be with them, but you would help us to expedite their recovery and our generosity for those who are able to help and to give, um, for those who may even be able to go, just to be an encouraging person for them. Father, we thank you that, uh, that you are with us even in the heartache and heartbreak of death but some that have happened in these last few weeks are just so tragic and just so difficult to deal with. Uh, We just fall on your mercy and ask for the comfort that you promised that passes understanding. For these families that have been affected, um, that are ongoing still affected, Lord, we just pray that you would be with them. I, I pray that we would have eyes to see this world, eyes to see each other, eyes to see suffering, but also eyes to see joy. And that you would give us just the energy and... The wisdom and the will to minister to those who are hurting or in need around us. We ask all this in Jesus' name, Amen. All right, uh, we are going to have it's it's we are going to have lunch after. I'm just going to tell you we got a lot of extra food. So even if you're not interested in volunteering in our kids ministry, you want to come hear about kids and eat some chick, chicken salad chick. I don't know if you, any chicken salad chick fans in the room um we've got some pimento cheese from there if you're not a pimento cheese fan if you don't have a dairy allergy and you're not a pimento cheese fan you need to go try it uh because you will be after you try it so anyways we'd love for you to come it's just going to be for a few minutes after worship today Um, but i do want to i do want to talk to you and kind of introduce this series i want us to then take communion together and then we're we're going to sing and be done for the day Um, but this whole idea of soul activity and in our circles and in our world, um, I think it's important to begin with some definitions of soul <laughs> uh, because uh, that can mean lots of different things. Um, but the, the, the way I am approaching this idea of soul activity, there are the things in your life that feed your soul. Now, we've talked about the soul in many different ways over the years here. Um, we've talked about it in terms of of um, our, our, kind of our shadow mission or our shadow self. We've talked about um, the, the true self versus the false self. Uh, we've talked about um, just wearing masks and what happens when we cover up who we truly are with a mask. And as we come to this idea of soul activity, what I want to talk to you about is who are you inside as if you had no reason to put up a wall or a defense or a mask? Who is that person that is truly and uniquely you? That is your soul. Now, we cover that up in many different ways. And sometimes we cover it up because we want to fit in. And sometimes we cover it up because uh, we feel like we're less than. Or we, um, you know, there's any number of reasons why we may cover them up. But it, there, it also may get covered up just by what happens to you in your life. Like, there are some traumas that follow you and you just can't shake like you just can't get rid of those traumas and and the reality is in those moments it feels like our soul is just heavy and there are times that we may not even be able to to recognize who is our true self your soul another way to look at that might be who are you as god sees you and we take all the stuff away we take all of the things we're pretending to be away and we're just laid bare for who we really are our motives are are right out in front to see what we're really about and our priorities and how we spend our time and all of that is really just laid bare before the lord that that's your soul and there are things that can feed your soul but there are also things that can kind of feed your ego and feed the mask and feed the false self and, and and push us into a place in life that we we don't e- we don't even know who we are anymore. Social media hasn't helped with this. Uh, we we work forever to get the right picture. And uh, a friend of mine she uh, posted a picture. She was trying to I don't know this was Sons and Daughters Day. Just so you know, I don't post any of that stuff. Um, it's not that I don't love my sons or my daughters. I don't I just don't do that. And if you do that, ter- perfectly fine uh i just feel like that's a trap you know it traps me in there so i don't do that stuff but she was like i finally got an approved picture for my daughter to post to say happy daughter's day and i just thought that is just isn't that the problem with our culture and a parent would certainly look at a child and say you know what i don't care i don't care if your hair is messed up i don't care if your smile looks weird i i, I don't i don't care if you don't look your best like, you're just my child. I just, I just love you. You have someone in your life that is that for you, whether it be a spouse or a, a boyfriend or a girlfriend or a parent or a sibling or just a good friend. You have those people in your lives that you're like, I don't care what you look like. I don't care if you're having a bad day. You are special to me. You are important to me. And you are precious to me. And we, we look past that. but, But we live in a culture that makes us want to portray just perfection. But in that perfection we do often lose ourselves. So this is not about feeding a mask. In the church, sometimes we, we often have required people to wear a mask. You have to come in, you have to look like your life is together, you've got to act like everything's okay, even when it's not. And we've actually driven people away by saying, you, who you are in your soul is not acceptable to us. Only when you put a mask on are you acceptable to us. And Jesus would never have treated someone like that. In fact, he would dig out, he would look past the mask and he would look right deep into your heart and he would say, I see you and I know you. Well, I wanna spend these next few weeks talking about how do we develop this idea of resilience within our souls. And there are some things that we can do. There are some things we need to stop doing. And then there are some ways of seeing the world that need to change for us to develop the ability to walk through hardship. And the reality is, even if everything else is going in your life, the last three years have created hardship for you and for us. Now, we may look different for different people, and I know some people who are extreme introverts have been like, I, can we have another pandemic? That was like the best three years of my life. I just would like to do it again, monkeypox. Sure, I mean, let's do it. I, I don't care what it is. Can I just stay home and not have to talk to anybody, not have to go anywhere? Like, that's, that's my perfect life. But most of us don't feel that way. And even those that do, there's a loss in that moment when we lose connection with people and we lose connection with God. And then eventually we begin to feel like we're losing a connection with ourselves, don't we? We talked a few weeks ago and you're going to be hearing this throughout um, the next four weeks and that is the idea of collective trauma. The idea that we've all been through something traumatic together. We've experienced something difficult together. We, we separated from each other and we did that to help each other because um, our best friends may kill us or we may kill them or our parents or our kids. And so I, I heard, I've heard so many stories of grandparents who hadn't seen their grandkids in like, you know, two years. And, you know, we, when we went through the process with dad, our, our, the, the funeral home that helped us with dad's funeral, he they're good friends, like we I grew up with the the guys that run the funeral home now. I grew up with them, um their dad and and our parents went to church together, and so we went to church together and uh and so they helped and I was just talking to them about how life has been for them, and they were just they were talking about the trauma they had been through of trying to care for people who had lost loved ones, and they couldn't have a public gathering of people just to celebrate their life at the end of their life, or um talking to physicians and nurses. Who would have someone sick with COVID uh, in the in the hospital, and their loved ones could not come see them, even when they are on their last leg? I, you know, it just there's all kinds of that kind of collective trauma. But there's also just a collective trauma that some of us have lost some friends over this period of time. People that we were close to, we're just not close to anymore. We we feel that sometimes here at church, we feel that sometimes in our homes, sometimes when we go to work, we just feel distant. And and I I hear more and more from people that. The distance between parents and children just continues to grow. And I don't mean within the house. I mean once they've moved out and they are adults. This distance between parents and children just continues to grow. And maybe that's your story. Or maybe you're the child and that's your story. Or maybe you're a parent and that's your story. Or maybe you fear that that will be your story. This distance that has been created is just difficult. In addition, some of us struggle with just mental fatigue. Just the reality that our brains don't seem to be working the same way. I I, I watched a, a TikTok of... Uh, You know, this mom, she was frantically looking for her baby. I'm sure it's making the rounds. Like, I'm not a poster. I I don't post stuff. I rarely look at stuff. So when I do, I probably get, like, the most popular memes that are out there. But she's frantically looking for her baby. It's not in the stroller. It's not in the seat. She's looking all over the house. And then in just a moment, she realizes, oh, I'm carrying it. It's right here. It's in my arms. That's where the baby is. And you just can see this, I don't know, I guess it's a... They had a camera in the room or something that they had recorded it. But you could just see the relief like, oh, here you are. I didn't lose you. And I just laugh, ha, 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 how silly. And then I remember how often I do that. Like, "Where? I can't find my stuff. You know, where are my keys? Where are my, you know, glasses? I, I wear contacts, but sometimes I'll wear my glasses. And many times I'll stick them on my head and I'll go look into the house for them. Um, forgetfulness has been reported in droves by people who went back to work. People are struggling to do their jobs not that they don't want to do a good job and not that they're trying to be lazy but they just they just forget our minds just we just forget stuff and I I know for myself I have definitely had moments where I'm normally I don't forget I normally remember at least I I think I remember Deidre sometimes tells me I didn't remember correctly but she's usually wrong um, usually I remember it. She's not in here, so you don't you don't need to go tell her I said that. But you know, sometimes. But I think my memory is pretty good. But certainly over these last few years, I sometimes I struggle to remember those basic things. Jonathan would give me a hard time because I just for some reason I would have a mental block around his birthday, and so whenever we'd ask for his birthday, I'd give him the wrong date, and he would just look at me like the, he was the most disappointed son in the face of the, on the face of the planet. Dad, how could you forget? He's up there in the sound booth right now chuckling because he knows this is true sometimes i'll just it's like my brain just doesn't work the way it it's supposed to you know that's a that's a symptom of collective trauma when you're just unsettled and things just aren't working right and you can experience this in lots of different ways maybe it was the, the trauma of, of learning new work rhythms went remote and now you're coming back to the office uh, it could be collective trauma just because you, you've experienced something together. Like there will be, a, 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 be lots of collective trauma in Florida now. Especially the whole communities that are just utterly destroyed. There, there's there's going to be collective, we've, we've experienced trauma together and it just has all of these weird effects on us. We're tired. Um, we get irritable with people really quick. Does anybody do that? Do you get more irritable with people quicker than you used to? Depends on who it is. That's a yes. That's a yes, by the way. <laughs> yeah, sure, sure. We just, the, a lack of grace. Um, interestingly, people just, they don't want to go out. When we could go out, a lot of people didn't want to go out. I just want to stay home. Like, I'm used to this. I like this. This this really feels good. And, and one of the things that we've tried to, we've tried to to realize and and you know make kind of a, give grace when we you know when we kind of came back to work and we came back to church and we came back we were like okay now we're back let's go but we weren't really ready to go yet and still in some ways may not quite be ready to go and are asking questions like do i ever want to go like that again it's just this very interesting change of the way we see the world and the way we see ourselves and the way we function uh, within this world. Um, our broken relationships, we become more suspicious of each other. We look at each other as people we're competing against. Uh, you know, chili. He's right, though. You should, if you make chili, you should bring it. It's gonna be... But we're more suspicious of each other. Like, I don't know what they're thinking. I don't know what they're doing. I don't know what they're saying about me. We just become suspicious. But in all of this, there is still a longing for us to get back towards something. There's a longing for us to have something more than we have. But the problem that we're facing is that we don't really know when that was. In fact, most people don't. There is just a generational longing for simpler times but when you were in those simpler times, you longed for something else. And so even our memories of these wonderful times, and if we could just get back to the way it was, there were lots of things that really weren't great about those times. Just like there are lots of things right now that there's really not great about right now. But there's also lots of wonderful things right now that we miss in our longing for what was. We talk about new normals. And I'll just tell you, God's plan for your life is not that you settle into any normal. Whether new, old, or otherwise. Like, we're not supposed to be normal. There's a dynamic part of living life that our soul needs to feed on something that is moving and healthy. And it's moving us towards something. And yet, many times what we really want to do is we just... We really want things to just settle down and be simple and to be easy. But I've just seen time and time again, those who settle into a life that is simple and easy, they go downhill so quickly. Your ability to to think goes down. Your ability to do goes down. Your ability to endure stress goes down. The, The desire for simple and easy, oh, it sounds so good, That there's tension that is necessary for a soul to be healthy. And at times, we just want to escape that tension the best we can. In addition to not really being healthy even before this collective trauma that we've been through, what's interesting is that the things we gravitate towards, studies continually show us, are driving us more towards discouragement and depression and the idea that life is not good. One of the the prime culprits that's driving us to a place of believing that the world is not good is is social media. We've seen correlating studies between anxiety and depression increasing with the level of social media use. The idea that I need to put on and I need to pretend and I need to be something more. Or someone else who is putting on or pretending or or, or they're acting like there's something more. We see their life and now we feel worse about our life, even though that's not even their life either. This idea that somehow we've got to be better. And everyone else is better, but I'm not. There's this incredible division that's happened uh, just in all kinds of things, in politics and in entertainment, and in, you know, Apple or Android. You know, we we can separate on any number of issues and put people into camps. and And I just don't like the people who aren't in my camp. So, what does it look like? What does it really look like to be resilient? And one of the questions that I want, us to, I want us to approach, but we certainly cannot fully answer, I think this is kind of the mission of our church long-term, and this is kind of what we're all searching for uh, uh, as people, as humans, and as Christians, is how do we live healthy and full lives? With. And some of the answers are going to be very obvious, and some of the answers may be less so. Because there are things we assume about health that are not true, and there are things that we assume about trials that they're not true either. The Scripture actually says trials are necessary for a healthy and full life. And so our desire to get outside of those trials actually lead us away from health, not towards it. And yet we were in the moment of a trial, and I don't just mean a trial like, I mean, they're out of vanilla pump at, the, at Starbucks. I don't mean that kind of trial. I mean, like, real trial. Like, I've lost my house or my job or my child. We don't want those trials, but there is something about trials that just creates something healthy and resilient in us. And as our desire is to walk through those wonderful green pastures that the 23rd Psalm talks about, the psalmist also says, but we're also going to walk through the valley of the shadow of death. Can we be resilient in both? Um, that is our goal. So, the four things I really want to talk to you about uh, the first one today is, is uh, resilience begins with being connected to Christ. That's what I really want us to, to get before we leave today. It is not about uh, going to the right therapist, although therapists are very helpful. It is not about getting on the right medication, although some people need to talk to their doctor about some medication. Um, It is is not about um, you getting a better job, even though some of you it may be time for a new job. It is not about making more money, although you probably will throughout your life make more money. There is a, a necessity, there is a necessary part if we ourselves are going to be resilient no matter what. We are going to also be able to cope with grief and trial. There is a place that we have to be connected with Christ. And if our faith is not intimately connected with God through Christ, we are not going to be resilient. It's just not going to happen. Next week, we're going to talk about um, maintaining resilience through intentional living. The third week, we're going to talk about protecting our soul. We're going to spend a lot of time talking about distractions. And then the fourth week, we're going to talk about taking a Sabbath, when we need to stop, because there are times that we just have to stop and we just have to take things in. What's interesting, and some of it, some of the material I'm going to be sharing with you is is just it's just Bible study. It's just it's just the Bible. Some of it, um, you know, I shared with you some of the the stuff that John Eldridge has put out, both through his Resilient book and Taking Your Life Back. Um, if you want to do a deeper dive into that, you can we're not this we're not going through those books, um, but we are going to talk about some of the stuff like the shallows, the midlands, and the deep. We're going to be talking about those those are phrases that he coined. Um, but we are going to talk about taking a Sabbath and the reality that uh, that most of what you see requires you to make fast decisions. Most marketing messages are quick, and and I'm in marketing. And if you don't get someone's attention within the first four or five seconds, you're done. You've lost it. You're not going to get their attention back. We do that in church. We do that in news. We do that in politics. We do that in um, what we're going to do on Black Friday. We do that when we're just scrolling through. Ask yourself, how many um, seconds do you look at a post before you scroll to the next on your phone? Uh, We do things very quickly. Whenever we get our news, we typically read headlines. We rarely read the actual article we talk about critical thinking it's really hard to spend time critical thinking because we have so many things we need to think about you know even today we're, we're doing church and then we've got to do this lunch right after we got to make sure we get all the stuff from the refrigerator into the You know, into the event hall, and we had to make sure the event hall was ready. And then when we leave, you know, Malia's got a birthday party today. You don't care about that, but I'm just telling you what my day is like. Malia's got a birthday party, and so we're going to split up and and have Jonathan take Malia to her birthday party, but he's working with a friend today too. So he's going to go work after he does that, and somehow we've got to get Deidre's car back. And think about how are we going to get Deidre's car back, and then I've got some work I need to do today. And somewhere in this whole day we're supposed to rest, and we're supposed to have a Sabbath. And and then we also need to work on the house a little bit, because you know what happens? If you start your week and your house is a wreck, right? Because uh, then you just feel bad about your house. And and on top of that, that was a really funny video about that lady who lost her baby that was sitting in her arms. And I think the next you know, 65 videos might be just as funny. They may not be, but I'm going to check them all. I'm going to look at all 65 of the next ones. You know, we we have so many things that just boggle our mind. They just weigh us down. All the things we have to do, all the decisions we have to make. I don't even know what your day is going to be like, but we're having this moment right here in this day. But it's interesting that that physicians and scientists will tell us, are there really good things in life, the, the emotions that, that really add to life, that make your soul feel full, the things that, that really make you feel that life matters and is important and is good, those are things that require your brain to have rest to experience. So even when I think about my day to my? when am I going to rest my brain so that, that I have the time to experience the better things in life? I walked out um, one morning. I had parked my car outside. Usually I park it in the garage, but I parked it outside for some reason. And uh, I just walked outside, and it was the first morning we were in the 50s. And I had somewhere to go because, you know, when you're leaving early in the morning, you don't really have a lot of time in the morning. I don't. Some people get up at 4 in the morning, and they just take their time for the next two hours. That's not me. I can't do that. If I'm getting out early, I'm up and out. And so I usually would hurry out, jump in my car, open the door, pull out and I'm gone, but yet when I walked outside on this particular morning to get to my car, the, 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 the air just hit me, and I just had to stop. Do you ever have those moments where something is so overwhelmingly good in that moment that you just have to stop and let it kind of wash over you? Oh, I have those moments all the time. But there are some things, there are some decisions that can only be made wisely when we stop to take time. Whenever we're dealing with grief, there are some moments that just need you to take time to sit in the grief. And not just jump to the next thing, but just just, just going to sit in this grief for a few minutes. So we start talking about the soul. The soul needs something other than what our culture tells us we need. And for some of us, what we really need is we need to, we need to create some margin in our lives. We need to re- relax our brains. We need to relax our emotions. We need to let us just kind of soak in a moment, and then we just need to see what happens. And this is even beyond just remembering the Holy Spirit is a still, quiet voice who's not going to jump and interrupt us. But instead, is waiting to see, are you willing to slow down enough to listen to me? See, the soul is good. The soul is full of all the good stuff in life. It's who we are. We were made in the image of God, we were made to be in, in relationship with God and with each other. We were made to walk out on a beautiful summer day and go, God, this is, you did good. And on a day when it's only 50 degrees outside and you go, oh God, thank you for this. Can this stick around for a little while? Maybe that moment is that first cry of your first child or maybe that moment is when you finally graduate for the last time and you walk off stage and you're like, I'm never doing this again. (laughs) Maybe it's when you met a goal that you thought you were going to meet and you just in the moment need to savor it, but The culture is compelling you to keep going, compelling you to push forward. Those are all important things. A healthy life rhythm, or what is resilience? A healthy life rhythm that is full of joy and resistant to trials. That's kind of our working um, definition. Uh, Skip the next slide. Go to that next slide. This is what we learned in our last few weeks together. Our four themes. God works with those that put others before themselves. That takes time. It takes reflection. It takes noticing. God works with those that are willing to follow him. That takes the ability to listen to a still quiet voice. God works with those that are learning from their mistakes, which also requires reflection and at times it requires someone else in our lives to say, you need to learn from your mistake. And then we also learn that God will be faithful to you even if you are unfaithful at times. All those things matter in this conversation on the soul. Because there's this idea that being healthy and at rest means that I'm not affected by hard things. Or that somehow I just need to live life with as little problems as possible. I'll just buy a cabin. I tell my tell my pastor friends, when I retire, I'm I'm going to open a little tiki bar on a deserted island. And uh, I think there's about 50 of them now that have decided they want to retire with me. So I guess it's a normal feeling when you're a pastor. But I was like, hey, I'm just going to go out there. I'm going to have a tiki bar. I'm going to sit on the beach all the time, and it's going to be deserted. It's just going to be me and Deidre. She gets to come too. And, uh, but there's something... Deeper about a healthy soul than just the absence of problems. So what is resilience? You can go to that next slide. What is our definition of resilience that I want to, to lead us towards? It is a healthy life rhythm that is full of joy and resistant to trials. Another way we could phrase this would be this. A healthy life rhythm where more is coming in than going out, because what we're going to find is that many of us are empty because we keep giving, 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 and we are not refilling. Ooh, that's Ryan. I didn't even mean to make that Ryan. I, was, I need to write that down. This is where we want to go. How are we filling up? This, by the way, works in lots of things. This will work in your relationship with your spouse, this will work in the way you share and give love, uh, this will work in your finances. Pick in more than you give out. It works. There are three areas that um, that we're going to talk about regularly. It's the three areas that you live in your life. Um, John Eldridge talks about this in many different works of his. Um, but they are, the first is this, the shallows this is probably where most of us live our lives most of the time. The idea is if you go out to, um, to the ocean, to the beach, you kind of come out and you kind of play in the shallows, and then there's the Midlands where you get out a little deeper, but then there's the deep. The shallows is where most of our time is lived. That's where we jump from one thing to the next. Get in the car, we gotta get to school, get in the car, I gotta get to work, get in the car, I gotta get to whatever. It's flipping out our phone because we're busy, and in the moment I just wanna I want some want some peace and some rest. I want to take my mind off of the things that are bothering me. So I get my phone and I open Facebook or I open something else and I start flipping or I open a game or Snapchat or you know, where's Tennessee in the top ten? Ah, we're still in the top ten, by the way. We didn't play. So we had to buy see if we're still in the top ten next week. I look through all those things and the shallows. That's where we often live our lives. It's also the place where we sometimes get distracted by something going wrong. Uh, you know, like we forgot food for the meeting after, which we didn't. But if we forgot food, then all of a sudden we're distracted. Or um, what are the things that I need to do immediately when I leave here today? It's that life where we jump from thought to thought, action to action, without stopping to ask ourselves, is this good? Is this the way I should live my life? These are the questions we ask. What is for lunch? Let's jump on Netflix. Why did I do that embarrassing thing back in third grade? Those thoughts would just come in. We don't have to conjure them up. We don't have to think about them. We don't have to wonder um, about something. They just kind of dance in there. They just pop in, and we just can't always, you know, stop what they were doing. And then there's the Midlands. And that takes some intention to get to the midlands. The midlands—that's where we start getting to more of the things that matter in life. These are the things where, um, you know, we have a concern for our kids or our parents. This is when we're thinking about gas prices and what that what's that going to do on our ability to go on vacation, you know, this summer. Um, so when we talk about inflation and our home values, and maybe for some of you that's retirement. How's my retirement plan doing? The midlands are that area that we. We're talking about things that matter, but they're not really the, the soul defining things that really matter in life, but they do matter. Like they, they are important. Like, you know, I I really need to think about a, a plan to replace my roof because it's leaking. Maybe that's probably something that ought to be done sooner rather than later. But those are the cares of life that they do matter to us. But they're still not really the place where God is. But the deep. The deep is this intentional life living towards things that really matter. Things that really matter in life. And there are defining moments where you you just come face to face with the thing that really matters when you lose a loved one Something really, you, you find out something really mattered when, you know, when we're parents and we're just running from activity to activity and making sure our kids get to where they need to go and they're going to school and they're getting their work done and they're making it to practice and they're making it to the games and they're, they're happy and they're making sure they're going to the birthday parties and they're doing all these other things. Uh, but then we get to a life of just running from activity to activity to activity and, and now they move off and we realize um, the thing that we really miss about the time when they move off is just them in the room. But we were busy doing all those other things. If we're not busy doing the things that keep them in the room from time to time, they will just go off. And they'll be about being busy, busy, busy doing their things. Because that's what we did. That's what we taught them. The deep is kind of our inmost being. It's where hope lives. It's where joy lives. It's where love lives. It's what really makes us who we are, but it's also what we're really striving to experience and to become. Anybody can be in the shallows. We're in the shallows with no effort whatsoever. But if you're going to go into the deep of your life, if you're going to develop the kind of resilience that draws from something down deep, you cannot accidentally end up there. And yet most of us are living our lives accidentally ending up somewhere. If you're sitting here thinking, "Ah, I just, I don't know, You just don't know what I'm supposed to be about, you've not spent a lot of time in the deep. If you are running from thing to thing to thing and you're excited about the things, you probably don't even care that you're not spending time in the deep usually the things that draw us into the deep is either we have become so intentional about the way we're living our lives that we make sure that we have time for that or something goes horribly wrong and we then need to begin to completely redefine ourselves. And then we need, we need to draw from something from somewhere and it will, it will draw us towards the deep. But what happens when things start going well is we start heading back towards the shallows. And there's a real chance that following what we've been through over the last few years, we can go right back to the shallows and forget what it's like to be in the deep. This is where Christ dwells and strengthens us. And this is one of the weird, uncomfortable realities about what it means to be resilient. Because... If you avoid hard things in your life, you will not experience many things in your life. Some of the hard things are kind of fun, stressful. Remember who asked two out for the first time? It's kind of stressful. I'm what are they going to say? I really like them. What if they say no? I don't know what's going to happen. That's kind of hard, stressful, but it's good, Right? Or what about if you really want to go for that job you've always wanted, but you're going to have to go to school, or you're going to have to get more training, or you're going to have to spend more time, or you're going to have to study, or you're going to have to do without for a while so you can get to the place where you can go do that thing. It takes hard things sometimes to get to the best things. Resilience is earned through hard work. But it is also given to us by a God who gives us strength. How do we tap into that? How do we get that kind of strength? How do we get that kind of endurance? The difference between someone who makes it through a trial and someone who doesn't is their ability to endure hard things. Now, I know some of your stories. I don't know all your stories, but I know some of your stories. And some of your stories, you've been through hard things and you have endured. And you have developed a resilience because you've had to endure hard things. And you should not ignore that. And the fact that you've been through hard things does not make you less than the person next to you who hasn't. It actually puts you in a place where you can be healthier because you've learned to endure hard things. But there's also a part of this that this is just what God gives those who follow him. The secret to resilience... Is intimate connectedness to God through Christ. If we're going to go down deep to where the really good stuff is, where my inmost being is, then we have to be connected to the one that knows what is good. And to the place where he resides, Hebrews 12 1 and 1 and 2 says this Therefore since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us looking to Jesus the founder and perfecter of our faith who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross despising the shame and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God Jesus is our example of resilience And yet Jesus never shied away from hard things, often created hard things that the disciples would have to go through. It was James that came around to teach us that you know what I've learned from watching Jesus is that tests and trials grow and build our faith and our resilience. That doesn't mean we seek them out but it also doesn't mean that we run from them. They come and they have an effect. and We grow. And we develop resilience. We start talking about just feeding our souls. I'm just going to tell you as we go through these next few weeks, there are parts of this that you are responsible for yourself. You have to take the time. You have to say no to the things that are unhealthy. You have to be the one to spend time sitting outside, looking at the trees or whatever brings you that you know, moment of peace and clarity. You have to spend the time quieting out the shallows, quieting out the distractions, quieting out all the decisions that you have to make to say, I need some time just to stay connected to God through Christ. You're going to be responsible for some of that yourself, and it, won't, it can't all happen here. It has to happen daily where you are or as often as you can manage it. But there is a part of this and fixing our eyes on Jesus that we do as a community together. And what I, I hope that you saw through the, our series on Genesis is there is something God's looking for in us that is about each other. There is stuff for us to do that invites God into our story. There are parts of living out this life that are not about just believing the right things and singing and and really loving Jesus, but Jesus, and, and what Rick said today, if you love Jesus, you demonstrate your love for Him by obeying Him. You demonstrate your love for Jesus by becoming like Jesus. Not because we sing a song that's really great and we go, I just feel really in love with Jesus. I, I... If your spouse never spent any time with you and then they uttered to you, oh, I love you so much, would you believe it? Or, or or maybe you just do their favorite thing one time and they're just so full of joy over this thing that they love to do. Does that count, counteract All of the times that your spouse never spent time with you. Of course not. There's a a part of this that God expects our lives to change, to become more like Christ, and we fix our eyes on Him to see what that's going to look like. It changes us. This morning, we're going to take communion together. The part of communion, some churches do communion every single week, and that's great. We don't. We do it once a month. Uh, Like anything, good things done just to do them lose their impact. But we're going to take communion together. And the reason Jesus wanted us to take communion together was not because, you know what would really make your worship services really pop? If you all ate and drank something. I mean, you can do grape juice, but I suggest wine. And like that, it's just going to be a better worship service if you do that. And the whole point of communion was that we took the time to stop and to recognize we're connected with Him. Whenever we do a baptism and someone's baptized, we say something to the effect of, You're united with Christ in His death and in His resurrected life. United with Christ. When we take communion, we we come and we do this thing together because this thing together reminds us that Christ is the one that makes this all possible. That Christ's love was what made it possible for Him to die on the cross that his divinity is what made it possible for him to rise from the dead to remember that we are who we are because of him so as we do that and as we think about what resilience looks like the secret to resilience is intimate connectedness to god through christ and no matter what else we do we can deal with distractions but you will never make it to the place of true resilience without Christ. We can deal with the, the issues of the Midlands that we think about and we need to really plan for and, and, and they're really concerning for us and, are, and they're important things. But we can deal with all those things and never make it to the deep. You know, I, I was thinking the other day when we we talk about a, a mature person. Like when you walk into a room and you look at someone, and you go, "That, you know, they're pretty mature." I, I don't often walk in the room and people think that about me, but but when someone else walks in the room and I'm just like, "They're really mature." There, there, I've come to the conclusion there are two things that make me think that about them. One of those things is they just they just seem settled unfazed like something goes bad okay something goes good okay they just seem settled like like things just don't sway them as heavily as they do for others but the second thing i've noticed about them is that they have a tendency and, and when you look at somebody you go wow they, they're really mature they have a tendency to care about other people they have a tendency to look at other people's needs and go, you know, let's, let's take care of their needs. Now, that could look in a lot of different ways. Uh, that, that could be someone who walks in at school to the lunchroom, and you've got the kid that no one talks to and no one sits with. And they, uh, you would say about a, a mature kid, if they walked in the room and they looked over and go, I think I'm going to go sit with them and, and talk to them. You would probably say, that's pretty mature. So there's just this part about this whole thing that Jesus is trying to teach us that develops this resilient soul within us. That it doesn't mean we're, we're unfazed. As I said when I started this morning, I feel somewhat hypocritical right now. I don't feel very resilient. And, but I'm talking about it. It doesn't mean that we're, un, we're just totally unfazed, but we do keep putting one foot in front of the other. We keep moving forward. We keep doing what needs to be done. We keep showing up when we need to show up. And sometimes it means we stop showing up when we just need a moment in the deep. Paul says this in Ephesians 3. He says, For this reason I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. If we fulfill this passage, we fulfill a life of resilience. To be strengthened by God. To be made full by God. To be indwelled by Christ. As we come to communion this morning, if that's not your story, I want to encourage you to explore the possibility that that is the story that God wants you to have. If you're busy in the shallows, and the shallows are good, the shallows are fun, the shallows aren't disappointing you, the shallows are are just, I mean, I feel great when I'm in the shallows. May this be a moment for you to peel back all of the distractions that make your mind fire one right after the other so you have a moment of clarity when you have some time for the really good stuff to set in just to remember what this is all about. See, there's a part of this that we're going to have to protect resilience. There's a part of this that we're going to have to eliminate distraction. And there's a part of this that we're going to have to set aside time within our lives to rejuvenate and to rest and to have a Sabbath. None of that really matters if we do this all on our own and we're not connected with Christ. We also take communion to remind us that God loves us so much that He gave His life on the cross so that we could be with Him forever. As we take communion, maybe this is a day for you to commit to working towards the deep in your own life. Father,